uh, our guest speaker uh, was elected the ninth president of Louisiana College two years ago this week. And so we're, he's celebrating an anniversary with us. Dr. Brewer has brought to Louisiana College his more than 35 years of experience working with college students, 28 of which were spent as administrator at Charleston Southern University. In the last two years, Dr. Brewer has led Louisiana College to stability and renewed respect. Improvements to both the physical plant and academic programs are obvious. His exemplary and then some leadership is pushing Louisiana College to new heights. Dr. Brewer earned a PhD in educational leadership and policies from the University of South Carolina with cognates in math management and higher education administration and a master's in business administration and bachelor's of science in history from Charleston Southern University. He also attended the Snowmass Institute for Strategic Planning and completed the Harvard University Graduate School of Education Institute for Educational Management Executive Certificate Program in 2008, as well as Duke University's Nonprofit Leadership Executive Certificate Program in 2012. And Dr. Brewer, of course, also has extensive teaching experience. Dr. Brewer is a consultant for leading strategic change and also is a strategist, conductor, coach, Christ follower, an ordained Baptist minister for more than 40 years of local church service. He's also an accomplished musician who began playing the piano at the age of five. Rick and Kathy live in Alexandria. They have two sons, Jason, a professional musician in Nashville, where he resides with his wife, Krista, and daughter, Adeline Kay, and Jonathan, who's with us today, who's a banker in uh, Lake Alkany, Georgia, where he resides with his wife, Catherine, son, Knox, and new 10-month-old daughter, Piper. If you join me in welcoming Dr. Brewer today. I really appreciate uh, Dr. Holloway's vision, don't you, for uh, establishing this kind of opportunity the first uh, Monday of each month that you come together and hear from uh, hopefully good speakers. I'm gonna, I guess I'll try to be good. I don't know. You'll, you'll rate that later. But uh, anyway, we're glad that you're doing that, Stuart. It's a great vision, great opportunity for us to come together in fellowship. I'm glad that my son John could be with us this week. We're having a good time with... Uh, we wanted to see the grandkids, and to see the grandkids, we've got to see the daddy. So uh, that's how it goes. You know, we love those grandkids. They're so wonderful. Many of you that are grandparents in the room, how many grandparents in the room? There you go. Those grandkids are so wonderful, uh, you know, sometimes you wish you'd have had them first. But I digress. And uh, Jonathan's a banker in, over in Lake Oconee, Georgia. He banks south. He's, he got his MBA in finance and... Uh, has done real well. He's kind of moved quickly in the banking world for a guy that's just 30 years old. And uh, so I'm proud of him. He got his smarts from his mother. And so we all know that. And she echoes that as well. Um, this morning, I, I wanted, today, I want to talk to you about um, how we can overcome obstacles to personal and professional growth and how we need to work at trying to say no to certain things so that we can say yes to better things. You know, we live in such a fast-paced society. Everything's coming at us a thousand miles an hour. We can't keep up with everything. So I look at the, across the room, I know I got a lot of biblical scholars in the room. I'm not a biblical scholar, okay? I'm a business guy, I'm, a, I'm, you know, I'm an educator, I'm all that. I love the Lord. I've been knowing Christ as my personal Lord and Savior for 50-some years, so been walking and learning and growing all those years. But some of these biblical scholars, I want you to help me identify the biblical passages that say these things. First of all, Jesus ran. Anybody got that one? 
Jesus had a million things to do that day. Anybody know that verse? Uh, Jesus ate quickly because he was running late. Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, and in the ability to multitask. I don't think that's Luke 2.52, is it? No. Uh, the rich young man called after him, good teacher, but Jesus turned and asked him to make an appointment. No, I don't think so. And because of his schedule, some started to call him the rapid rabbi. So I don't think that's the case, do you? And so let's look at that today. What do we have to do? I mean, consider the statistics. People now sleep two and a half hours fewer each night than they did just about 100 years ago. So we're sleeping less than our own grandparents did. The average work week is longer now than it was in the 1960s. Uh, the average office worker has 36 hours of work piled up on their desk. It takes up to three hours a week just to sort through it and find what they need, not to mention it takes eight months of our lives. We're going through junk mail, junk email, and all of those things. We spend two years of our lives playing phone tag with people who are busy or who are not answering the phone. Five years waiting for people who are trying to do too much and are late for meetings. We're a piled on, stretched to the limit society. We're chronically rushed, chronically late, chronically exhausted. You may feel like Job did and Job Verse th chapter 326, he says, I have no peace, I have no quiet, I have no rest, and trouble keeps coming. Can anyone relate to that one? Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's some of the common areas here in your notes or on the screen where we experience overload in our life. As we have too much activity, too much change, too many choices, too much work, too much debt, too much media exposure. We're stressed by information overload. I mean, how many tablets do you have? How many screens do you have at your disposal? And by the way, when's the last time you read any instruction book for any of those tablets you bought? When's the last time you read how to operate an iPhone or how to operate a television? Have you? Anyone take the time to read those things? Well, of course not. You know, if we don't understand it, we just ask a 10-year-old, and they can get it going for you pretty quick. I read a book a few years ago by a medical doctor named Dr. Richard Swenson. wrote an excellent book. I commend it to you um, called Margins. And in this book, he says, the condition of modern-day living devour margin. If you're homeless, we direct you to a shelter. If you're breathless, we connect you to oxygen. If you're marginless, we give you one more thing to do. Marginless is being 30 minutes late to the doctor's office because you were 20 minutes late getting out of the hairdresser because you were 10 minutes late dropping the children off at school because the car ran out of gas two blocks from a gas station and you forgot your purse. That's marginless. Margin, on the other hand, is having breath at the top of the staircase, money at the end of the month, and sanity left over at the end of adolescence. Marginless is the baby crying and the phone ringing at the same time. Margin is grandma taking the baby for the afternoon. Marginless is being asked to carry a load five pounds heavier than you can lift. Margin is having a friend carry half the burden. Marginless is not having the time to finish the book. You're reading on stress. <laughs> Margin is having the time to read it twice. Marginless is fatigue. Margin is energy. Marginless is red ink. Margin is black ink. Marginless is hurry. Margin is calm. Marginless is our culture. Margin is counterculture, having some space in your life and schedule. Marginless is reality. Margin is remedy. Marginless is the disease of our decade. 
and margin is the cure. So let's explore. Let's explore the benefits today for just a few minutes of living a life that has margin in it to help you personally, professionally, and most importantly, spiritually. Learning to say no to some things so that we can say yes to better things in our lives. You know, I, here's what happens when you have some margin in your life. You got a little peace of mind. You got better health when you've got more margin. I mean, the truth is your body needs downtime in order to heal. I mean, there is a reason we need to rest and need to sleep, right? It makes for stronger relationships. What happens when there's no margin in a relationship? It gets strained. It gets stressed. We yell at each other instead of speaking to each other. Uh, it makes up or it makes you available for God to use, available to God to use to make a difference in the world. So when you have margin, you're then available for God to use. Well, here's the first step. Here's the first step. I know you want to know what the steps. Here they are. I'm an educator, so I'm going to give you the steps. If you're taking notes, take notes. If not, you must have a powerful memory. Here's what I know as a teacher and as an educator guy and a speaker guy, that when you walk out here today, you will only remember 20% of this. But if you hear it, see it, write it down, teach it to someone later, you will retain 80%. Now, if you just write it down and never look at it again, you might retain 40 to 50%. So I just thought I'd throw that in to help a little bit, you know, if you would. So the first thing, you got to accept your human limitations. I mean, accept your human limitations. We have to recognize we have limits. We have to admit that humans have limits, and we have to accept them. Psalm 119, 96 says, I have learned that everything has limits. Has limits. You can't do it all. We live in a world and a culture that says you can do it all, you can have it all, you know, the Burger King mantra, have it your way, you can be everything you want to be, and that's simply not true. And it's unfair that we teach that to kids today, that we set children up for a terrible failure and a terrible fall and a terrible comeuppance when they can't simply do. You know, as much as I wanted to, when I was growing up, I wanted to be in the NBA. I wanted to play professional basketball. Well, John, that would never going to happen with this boy, you know what I'm saying? I made it through high school, played a little bit there and all. I played a lot there, but didn't play in college. So I wasn't going to make the NBA, just no way. Now, so if I dreamed it, I couldn't do that, right? I mean, I, they said I jumped so high, John, they could slide a piece of paper under my feet. That's the, that's the ups that I had coming along. Y'all know John Tudor. He did play in the NBA, so I can pick on him a little bit. But uh, I was a young man when I watched him play basketball, by the way. I was just one of them. <laughs> so. You know, the truth is, you can't do everything you think you can do. I mean, first place, you got physical limits. I know none of you men in here think you have physical limits, but i got news for you. As we get older, we have physical limits. I'm telling you, those of you that have gotten over the age of 50, you know getting older is not for wimps. You know that? You know what I'm talking about. It's not for wimps. you got to be a tough guy to keep pushing on through these older years. Isn't that right, Byron? See, he knows. He's an older guy than me. So he knows. you got physical limitations. You have emotional limitations. I mean, it's harder for us to judge it in our own lives. You have physical limits, and, but you've you got to know how far you can run before you collapse. For example, if I said to John LaBeouf here, I said, John, I need you to carry Randy out of the building today. He's passed out. You're not going to do that, I hope. But I need you to carry him out of the building. John would say, I can do that. I think I can get one guy and throw him on my shoulder and we'll get out of here. But if I said, John, I need you to carry 10 of these guys out of here, not going to happen. So why do we think we can carry the emotional baggage and burdens of 10 people? 
Why do we think we can carry that stuff? We have emotional limits. We must acknowledge that. And then we got uh, mental limits. Scientists are now discovering that the human mind can only handle so much new information at one time before it goes on tilt. Those of you who grew up with the pinball machines, you know what I'm talking about. The problem is we live in a culture where the media is constantly pumping new information in our minds. Radio, television, the internet, everything coming at us constantly. And as a result, most Americans today are mentally on tilt. They can't handle anymore, whether it's real news or is it fake news, or I don't care. You know, scientists are studying the psychic damage of trying to cram so much in our brains. How many technology manuals for gadgets in your house have you ever read through? Well, of course, none. And we have time limits, don't we? They're only 24 hours in a day. And it always bothers me when I'll have a, it used to bother me a lot. It bothers me a lot when students tell me they don't have time to finish the task. And they've known about this in the syllabus for two months. They'd known the paper was due on, in two months, but the night before, the night before, I suddenly don't have time. Professor, could I get an extension on that? Now, I'll tell you what's worse. The worse is when professional people like faculty members and vice presidents tell you, I can't finish a deadline because I don't have time. Uh, don't tell this guy that because I, you know, I know 24 hours a day we all have. And I'm willing to work and get up early and stay up late to get it done. That's just the way I'm driven. I grew up on tobacco farms. We know about that. You got to work. You got to earn it. You got to go after it. I don't, no excuses. You got space limitations. You cannot be in more than one place at the same time. Job 14.5 says this, our time is limited. You, God, have given us only so many months to live and have set limits we cannot go beyond. You need to underscore that. We cannot go beyond. What are the limits? We cannot go beyond and understand it. So you're thinking it would really be nice if God would warn me when I'm reaching my limit. If God would maybe put a little flashing light in my brain or, 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 or beeper or something would go off. Warning. You're at 95%. You're about to go overload. Back off. You're about to burn out. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if you had one of those lights? Let me tell you what you got. Let me tell you what you've got. God has given you a warning light. It's called pain. It's called fatigue. It's called stress. It's called loss of joy. It's called being irritable. It's when you're irritable, you're on overload. You've exceeded a limit. It might be physical, mental, spiritual, social, emotional, and you've gotten irritable and difficult maybe to live with. Here's the second thing I want you to see today is you must expect to have problems expect to have problems nothing goes as planned i don't care how much i try to plan my day it never goes as planned i'll come in to work expecting to get seven things done by noon i can't get to any of them because there's 14 other things that all the vice presidents have messed up and i gotta fix and they're here so they can hear me say that i say that in humility you know it's a blessing to do that and to serve and so uh, then I finally get to my things at 9 o'clock that night. That's why the vice presidents are concerned when I send them emails at midnight. Well, it's because you pushed me here. You know, I'm just wanting to be a blessing. You, you understand that, right, brother? Over there, I know you do. So, we, so we've got we to expect to have problems. I mean, Jesus said, in this world, you will, you will have problems. You will have tribulation. He said, but what? Be of good cheer because he's overcome it. Proverbs 22.3, I just love how the Bible speaks so much truth and so much practical wisdom. Here, listen to what this says. This might be a verse for somebody in this room today. 
the prudent person perceives difficulties ahead and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and sacrifices the consequences. I hope you're not simpletons. I hope you're not being stupid. I hope you're being smart people. And I call that the art of anticipation, preparing ahead. One day I'm going to write a book. I'm working on it. The book's title is this, Tomorrow Begins Today. Tomorrow begins today. I mean, what you're going to do tomorrow begins how you think it through today and prepared and anticipate the things of tomorrow. A third thing you got to do is put space in your schedule. Put space in your schedule. You have to decide. You have to create the margin. Ecclesiastes 10:15. I love this verse. It says, only someone too stupid to find his way home would wear himself out with work. Don't you love how the Bible just speaks truth there? Ecclesiastes 10, 15, it cuts through everything. It's honest about the struggles we have. How many of you feel guilty when you take some time off? I don't raise your hand. (laughs) How many feel guilty when you go on vacation? How many feel guilty when you try to rest a little bit, right? It reminds me of the story of the guy who kept bringing home work every night. He'd come home from the job. He always had work to do. And his little girl said, Daddy, how come every night you got more work to do? More work. He says, well, you know, honey, I just... I got so much at work, I can't just keep up with it. And she looked and said, well, Dad, maybe they need to put you in the, in the slower group. <laughs> so life is a journey, not a race, right? The truth is, it's, it's how well we live and trusting the Lord with our schedule and our lives. And the last thing I want you to see, if I want real margin in my life, this is the one that's the hardest for me to do, is that I must prune, I must prune, I must cut back some activities periodically. I've got to cut some things off. Pruning something that's alive. Now, this is what's hard for us to do. Cutting off something that's actually fruitful so another part can be more fruitful is painful but necessary if you want to become more fruitful. Uh, in the book, Seven Practices of Effective Ministry, Andy Stanley said this, sometimes the healthy choice is to eliminate programs that are thriving so that something else can become healthier. Good programs can actually get in the way of other programs becoming excellent. Just because something is working doesn't mean you should keep doing it. Too many ministries are spending their best human and fiscal resources on mediocre programs. A skilled gardener, a skilled gardener, that's your leader, learns which branches to prune and which ones to keep. 1 Corinthians 6.12, Paul said this. He says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. And what's he saying? God has given us a free will. God has given us a free will to choose. And you're permitted to do anything. You can go out and overload your schedule all you want, and God's not going to stop you. You're permitted to totally make some dumb decisions, and God's not going to stop you. That's his perfect, permissive will. But it doesn't mean that it's beneficial to do that. Learn to say no. Learn to say no, because less, less is more. You'll be effective if you figure out what you're not going to do as well as what you're going to do. What I'm saying is you'll actually accomplish more in life by doing less. You'll accomplish more by doing less by being totally committed to two or three things that really matter than being half committed to a dozen or two dozen things. I think for us, it's, it's for us as individuals to have a personal mission statement. You know, what's the mission for your life? 
Now, Christ said that he came to save, seek, and to save that which was lost. What is your personal mission in your life? And let that mission shape your values. Let it shape your decisions, and it'll help you get to the place of discovering what I really need to do, what I really need to focus on, and less truly becomes more. Proverbs 20, 30 says, Sometimes it takes a painful situation to make us change our ways. I think if we had time to go around the room today, we'd get an amen on that one, a lot of testimony. Maybe you don't know what the Bible has to say about no. Let me tell you some examples. If you ever thought it unbiblical to say no to people you care about, here's a list you might want to, to, to hang on your refrigerator, all right? To say yes to God's directive to deliver Israel from bondage, Moses had to say no to caring for his own family in Exodus 3 and 4. To say yes to remaining in Bethlehem with Naomi, her mother-in-law, Ruth had to say no to living out the rest of her life with her friends and relatives in Moab. That's Ruth 1. It would have been very convenient for her to do. To say yes to keeping her promise to God, Hannah had to say no to raising her son Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1. To say yes to protecting his friend David, Jonathan had to say no to the wishes of his father, King Saul, 1 Samuel chapter 20. To say yes to rebuilding Jerusalem's walls, Nehemiah had to say no to serving King Artaxerxes, Nehemiah 1 and 2. To say yes to God's call to marry a prostitute and to remarry her after she strayed, Hosea said no to marrying women he might have preferred more. That's chapter 1 through 3 in Hosea. To say yes to God's command to name her baby John, Elizabeth had to say no to friends and relatives who insisted that she abide by tradition and name the baby after someone in the family. You find that in Luke 1, 57 through 61. To say yes to following Jesus, the disciples had to say no to remaining with their families. Didn't he tell them, you leave it all behind and follow me? To say yes to listening to Jesus, Mary had to say no to helping her sister Martha in Luke 10. That bothered Martha a great deal, didn't it? To say yes to God's command to connect the Gentiles. John, excuse me, and Paul, later Paul, Saul, later Paul, had to say no to the wishes of everyone from his former life in Acts 9. To say yes to giving young John Mark a second chance, Barnabas had to say no to good relations and to continued travel with Paul. Acts 15, 36 through 41. To say yes to ministering to those on the other side of the lake, Jesus had to say no to people in Galilee who wanted him to stay. Matthew 8, verse 13. Moses, Ruth, Hannah, Jonathan, Nehemiah, Hosea, Elizabeth, the disciples, Mary, Paul, Barnabas, Jesus. You could no doubt add others to the list. And throughout the Bible, we see people making hard choices to respond faithfully to God's will. We see people saying no to good things so they can say yes to even better things. So why do we think it might be unchristian to say no? Why do we think that? Well, here's what I want you to do. The final thing is, the final point is do less and trust God more. So we accept your human limitations, expect to have problems when you're trying to carve things out of your schedule, put space in your schedule, prune your activities periodically, do less and trust God more. It produces peace of mind, better health, stronger relationships. You're available for God to use. It's called stewardship of our lives, being more available of God to use in every facet of our life. I'll close with this passage. 
One time the apostle Paul hit burnout. He hit burnout. He was ready to throw the bucket, throw in the kick the bucket, throw in the towel. He tells about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says this. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. As it turned out, it was the best thing that could have happened. Instead of trusting our own strength or wits to get out of it, we were forced to trust God totally. And he said, I love what he, he editorializes when he says, he says, not a bad idea since he's the God who raises the dead. So God can do what you cannot do, right? If you're busy, Jesus didn't say if you're busy, you can move mountains. He said if you work real hard and get stressed, you move mountains. No, he said if you have faith, you can move mountains. Faith, not busyness, is what gets the job done. So what's your mountain in your life today? What is it that you're feeling hurried about, stressed about? What's causing you to look at the, the phone every 30 seconds? What's pushing you? Do less, do less, and trust God more. A friend of mine several years ago put together this assessment that's on your table at every seat. It's called the Obstacles to Growth Survey. And I wanted to leave enough time. I hope there's enough time. I hope you can stay around even and do it. I think we got a little time, that um, each of you do this self-assessment. I shared this with the uh, Quest group at Calvary several months ago, since some of you guys have already done it. But um, you go through, let me explain it to you. I hope you can see on the, on the chart itself, the little shaded areas. They come through barely, but they're there. You go through each of these statements, and you circle the number closely to that statement. You either agree, strongly agree, disagree, disagree, strongly disagree. And then you place that number in the shaded area, okay? Like number one says, there are people close to me who love God with all their heart. And so if you say you strongly agree with that, you'd circle nine, and you place a nine under, under C. You see the shaded area? Everyone see that? Everyone tracking with me there? Okay. And then the second question looks like the shaded area is B, and then the next one, it's A, and then it's C, and so forth. And then when you complete it, and there's a couple pages here. It won't take but a minute to do this, five minutes tops. You'll tabulate your scores, your numbers, and then we'll kind of interpret for you at the end real quick. And it's kind of interesting to let you know what are the obstacles to growth in your life. If you're too busy, you're not going to allow room for growth. So take a few minutes and do that, would you? I don't know if you're a visual learner like I am, but it really helps me. This is a river, of course. And you know about rivers, they're, they're under control, generally, until they're flooded. Uh, there's a great deal of power, there's a great resource in rivers. They have purpose, they have a direction. They move solidly, you can depend on them. And so in our, in our lives, as we look at how we prioritize, how we plan, how we make decisions about life, challenge you to be a river as opposed to the next slide which is a massive flood. This was, of course, from the floods this year down in the lower part of our state. And you can see how that, one, that river we saw before became a flood. And floods are messy. Floods cause problems. Floods are dangerous. Floods kill. And some of in our lives, you know, instead of acting like a river and being focused, we're more like floods. Can't say no, can't focus. This has worked great. These images have worked great with athletes who understand I can't do everything, but I can do the things I've been taught to do by the coach, and I'm going to be a river tonight. 
and not a flood. And uh, so hopefully that'll help you think about each day. Am I being a river or am I being a flood? Floods just don't do any good, do they? Not at all in our lives. Well, if, let, me, let me give you the, you got on the back how to interpret your scores, and you can do that, that uh, if your sum total was below a two, then uh, you got no problems. You're doing great. You got plenty of space in your life. You got lots of margin. You're growing great. If it's a 2.0 to 3.9, it's a moderate obstacle. Uh, if it's a 4.0 to 5.9, it's a significant obstacle. You got to give it some attention. If your numbers were 6.0 or greater, it's a severe obstacle. In fact, I probably need to get you some help today. So um, I don't want to ask for any responses on that one, but I'll let you do that. Let me just share with you in closing, we... Uh, we appreciate your support, appreciate the support of our Louisiana College family, our alums, friends across state, people we're meeting, good things that are happening. Uh, and let me just say, uh, there's a rumor out. I know I get your attention on that one. There's a rumor afoot. I've had three people ask me this. I think it's funny. It's funny. It's not true. It's not true at all. So dispel the rumor that Donald Trump is coming to visit the campus or someone with the Trump family. Now, if they want to give us a check... Absolutely, they can visit all day long. I don't have a problem. Do you have a problem with that? Not at all, you know. If they want to help us do some of our refurbishment, then that means more money to, to do construction work with and other things. So, no, we have had no communication with the Trumps at all. I don't even, not at all. He's, it sounds like he's pretty busy these days, actually. So, <laughs> I doubt Pineville, Louisiana is on his radar at the moment. I don't really think so. Uh, but adding some new graduate programs this fall, uh, master's of nursing, master's degree in social work that we'll be launching, also a bachelor's degree in computer science. Uh, several new initiatives that we're launching just announced is the Francis Schaeffer Scholar Program. Schaeffer was one of the iconic figures of the 20th century on Christian worldview, a brilliant writer and scholar. And uh, we're partnering with our churches across the state, Baptist or any denomination, that if their youth group or young person will go through a curriculum that we're making available or letting them know how they can get it, it's called Thinking Like a Christian. One of the things we've learned in research from the Barna group in particular, and George Barna for 40 years has been doing significant research of how Christians think and behave in America particularly. And his latest survey dealing with a Christian worldview, and, and Barna makes it simple in his studies for 40 years now. A Christian worldview has been about seven things, basic things that you and I fundamentally believe as Christians. For example, that Jesus is Lord and that he's the only way for salvation. There is a heaven. There is a hell. The Bible is real. Jesus is coming again. There is such a thing as sin. And, and these seven things, it's interesting of, of high school students, listen closely, High school students from our churches, these are not just kids in the community, from our churches, evangelical churches, less than 1% agree with all seven of those things. Now, we've got problems. We've got some major gaps there. We've got some issues. And so we're trying to help close that gap a little bit with this particular emphasis. So the Schaefer Scholar Program, those students will receive a $2,500 a year scholarship, so it's worth about 10000 over the four years are there. They're going to be a part of ministry teams that will represent the school. And then the other we're all launching is the C.S. Lewis Honors Program. We uh, do not have an honors program until now. And these will be for students that are ACT 28 and up. C.S. Lewis was probably the iconic figure of the 20th century in terms of his writing and being professor at Oxford. 
And uh, many people today, their mind, their worldview has been shaped by the writings of Lewis. Certainly his children's books have been made into wonderful movies. Uh, but we're going to do the C.S. Lewis Scholars Program, and Russ Meek, Dr. Russ Meek, one of our religion professors, will be giving leadership to that. And those students will take honors program, honors classes throughout their curriculum, throughout their history. And at some point, probably about year three, they will study at Oxford there in England, where, of course, Mr. Lewis both was a student and a professor. We're excited about those things that right there as we march forward. And our Christian studies area, we're, we're going strong with a new emphasis on missions and ministries. Uh, we are wanting to see that grow. We want to see it grow 300%. We have 33 students right now majoring in that, in that area. We have a goal to move that to 100 by 2020, if not earlier. And to do that, we're going to be offering a special scholarship for students who say, yes, I believe God's called me to missions or ministries. And they come to our school. They're accepted. And uh, they're going to receive a significant scholarship. Uh, we're also making a very concerted effort to recruit more international students. A lot of young people across the world would love our education. They would love to be at LC. They just don't know it yet. They'd love our faculty. They'd love our community. Uh, the education they would receive is solid. And so we have Brandon Bannon, our Vice President for Student Development and Enrollment Management. He's been working closely with me. And Brandon, I think we've arguably got the best price of any, any private college in America for international students. And now with the STEM initiatives, we've launched an engineering program partnership with Tech and an engineering classroom that will be this fall, an engineering classroom that will be like those at Tech. And that's the benefit of a donor who gave us $100,000 before Christmas to do that. Uh, I think that's going to have an appeal, especially to students from, from Southeast Asia. And so we're building relationships with students in South Korea, Southeast Asia, China, et cetera, because this is going to be a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. We're hoping that by 2020, we'll have 100 international students here on our campus. Dr. Randy here has been so helpful to us as a deacon over at Calvary. And you came to me a while back, several months ago, and said that your deacons wanted to partner with us on some type of initiative. And I said, I think we got one coming. That now we're already telling folks over there that they're gonna, you guys are going to be host homes for these kids, okay? And they're thrilled to hear that. I know it'll be a great experience. A lot of good things happen. You know, keep us in your prayers. And uh, we keep moving forward with our vision of preparing graduates, transforming lives. Ms. Hearn, you have a question. Oh, sure, be glad to. Many of you know the story of our, of our buildings and the hailstorm and the, the benefit of Guide One Insurance, about, what, 15 million or so now, Randall? We believe it's that number and moving upward for a whopping deductible of $10,000. So we're grateful. Guide One president told us that we were their poster child. We said we're proud of it. We're glad to be. We'll represent. But right now, uh, 17, 18 roofs have been replaced. Uh, all the windows in Alexandria Hall are being replaced. That's an extra blessing happening right now. Cottingham Hall have windows replaced. Gwen Auditorium is a major effort um, because that alone is six million of it. And uh, they're completely gutted it now. It's going to take about a year. They're telling us we might hopefully be in there by summer of 2018. But it's getting a new roof. It has a new roof. It's going to have new ceiling, walls, floors, seats, lighting. So what a blessing, because that building was in dire need, and I just didn't know how that was going to happen. And the Lord sent the hailstorm to help us get that done. You know, on insurance, they call that an act of God. 
We're grateful. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. But, uh, and we've been doing improvements to the add some flowers. You know, we've received beautification awards twice. One from a group in Alexandria and one from over here in Pineville. And I thought it was the flowers. No, they told me it was, uh, it was me and Dennis Dunn. They thought we were beautiful people. <laughs> I know, I'm just kidding with you. But it's coming along. We've added a lot of flowers and done those things because, you know, it may not matter to us old folks, but the young people today, curb appeal is important when they look at colleges. Does it look pretty? Are the buildings clean? The grounds clean? Uh, and curb appeal is important. So we were doing that, painting things, power washing things, adding flowers, adding azaleas, adding uh, some other things to keep, keep places on campus around the flagpole now. And then, of course, the entrance to Granberry. And Ms. Hearn's come and give me great, great, great support and great ideas. She's my unpaid consultant. And, uh, you know, it's a glory. I appreciate that. We've, uh, in fact, we had a donor who set a goal. He gave $100,000, and he set it out as a challenge to our alums to friends to support the school in this effort. And so, so, so far, we've raised right at $50,000 for this effort. So it's, that's been a real blessing to us as well. Did I get everything you want me to say, Gloria? Is that close? Oh, those azaleas? Randall, she doesn't want them to trim the azaleas anymore. They're beautiful. Thank you, Ms. Hearn. <laughs> Thank you all. Let's have a word of prayer before we go today. So, Lord, we ask you to take us, and, Lord, that we would take from this the fact that uh, you, you don't want us and expect us to burn ourselves out, but that you, Lord, want us to give more to you and to your purposes. Lord, help us to figure out those things that we do need to say no to and we need to cut back on, Lord, so that as we move through life, there'll be less stress, less irritability that uh, we'll have peace, we'll have purpose, we will be effective for your kingdom work. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You guys have a great day. See you.